Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. My name is Peter Roman, and this is episode 27 of the quarantine edition of my show. Can't believe it's been 27 episodes. It feels like, you know, not that long ago it was summertime, but nope, right in the middle of the fall semester now, but... Nonetheless, I have lots of sports topics to cover today. I'm going to talk about the European qualifiers for Euro 2020. We now know every single group and every single team that will be taking part in... I don't know. It's kind of weird because UEFA still calls it Euro 2020 when it's actually going to be 2021. So a little bit weird on the naming thing. But regardless, I'll talk about that. NBA draft is tonight so i'm gonna have a quick preview of that as well as lots of analysis on the big trades that have been made so far in the nba but i'm gonna start today with nfl week 10 recap so nfl week 10 got underway with the thursday nighter between the indianapolis colts and the tennessee titans the battle for first place in the afc south and it was indianapolis coming out on top and you know I've never been a big Philip Rivers guy, but again, I can give credit where credit is due. And the Colts played a fantastic game in this one, and Philip Rivers actually played pretty well. 29 of 39, 308 yards, and a touchdown. Tennessee really struggled outside of Derrick Henry to get proper movement. Their passing game was not quite on point. And their defense continues to be a big liability. So, big win for the Colts, who are now in the driver's seat in the South. They do play Green Bay this week, though, which will be a tough game for them and a very important game for them. But Tennessee needs to kind of figure it out on the defensive side of the ball because there is a real chance they might miss the playoffs this year if they don't. All right, on to the next game. So... Starting with the morning games, I'll go with Tampa Bay and Carolina. Tampa Bay won 46-23. to It was a bounce-back game. Tom Brady in his career seems to play really well off losses, which is, you know, a good sign. And, you know, Tampa Bay's defense struggled early in this game, but later on really were able to stifle any momentum the Panthers tried to accumulate on offense. And the Buccaneers' offense figured it out for this game. So Tampa Bay is certainly not out of the weeds as far as you know they still got to find a way to be better than what they were against the saints but this was a good start next game texans and browns another terrible weather game and another really low scoring game for cleveland they won 10-7 nick chubb though of course at the dismay of many betters in vegas i'm willing to bet and many fantasy owners stepped out at the one yard line with like no time left so that way the cleveland could take knees instead of getting a touchdown and you know obviously it's the right football play but still for a lot of people who were betting on the game i'm sure it wasn't very appreciated cleveland gets the win over houston the texans deshaun watson has actually had a quietly pretty good season for the texans but i mean this team is just terrible the only team they've beaten this year is the jaguars so i'm not big on the texans and they're Somehow going to have to try and rebuild a team without draft picks. 
because Miami happens to own their first round pick this year and next year. So that's not great for them. For Cleveland, they're still in the thick of the playoff race. And the Browns actually have a pretty easy schedule going forward. Basically, if they don't get at least nine wins, there's something wrong with this Browns team. Next game, the football team and the Lions. Ugh, this game. Detroit had a 24-3 lead, blew it, and then the football team couldn't stop them with like 16 seconds left on the clock. Matt Prater hits a 59-yarder, which, full credit, um, that is a fantastic field goal kick. And Detroit wins. Detroit is 4-5. and five. They feel like one of the worst 4-5 and five teams maybe in NFL history, but they're 4-5 and five now, and the football team are 2-7 and seven, and somehow still in the NFC East, which I'll get to in a minute. But next game was the Jaguars and the Packers. This game was really surprising because Jacksonville played really well in this game. They played Green Bay very tight all the way to the end. The Packers got a touchdown from Devontae Adams from Aaron Rodgers, and that put them up 24-20. to The Packers' defense was able to hold late in the game. Jake Luton looked like a rookie quarterback who really didn't know what to do in the last couple minutes of the game. But not a great game for the Packers. They're 7-2, but this was a very dicey performance from a team that's supposed to be competing for the number one seed. Oh boy, and then we have the next morning game, the Eagles and the Giants. I'm going to come back to that one later. Okay, Bengals and the Steelers. So Pittsburgh won 36-10. They are still 9-0 on the season. Cincinnati, I mean, they're just... I thought they would put up a better fight than what they did, but Pittsburgh put their foot on the neck of the Bengals and did not let up at all and made people, I think, feel a little more confident in this team after the disaster performance that they had against Dallas that they somehow won. So I think a good bounce back for the Steelers. Bills and Cardinals. This game was crazy. So much. So Buffalo, I actually think, was a little bit better in this game. It was pretty evenly matched, but Arizona had to settle for a lot of field goals. Buffalo were able to score more touchdowns. Josh Allen, though, made some Poor mistakes with some interceptions, but it obviously came down to the final drives of the game, and Allen found Stephon Diggs in the end zone with about 30 seconds remaining to put Buffalo ahead, and well, <laughs> it ain't over till it's over, right? Because the Cardinals went down, got the ball to around midfield or so, and with 11 seconds left, Kyler Murray danced his way in the pocket to buy time and throw up a Hail Mary pass. And if you haven't seen the picture of it yet, I really hi highly recommend you go look at it. But DeAndre Hopkins went up and did the best possible Megatron impersonation I've ever seen, snagging the ball in the sky out of three. There was three Bills defenders right around him, right in his face. And he grabbed the ball, came down with it, and Arizona with a buzzer beater Hail Mary win. Crazy game. I was kind of losing it when Arizona ended up making that fantastic Hail Mary pass and stuff. And, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, if that 
trade this past summer with Houston wasn't already bad for the Texans, having like Texans fans having to watch Hopkins do that to Buffalo. Oh man, like I I can't imagine being a Texans fan right now. It would be so depressing because he won the game. He absolutely won the game for Arizona in this one. And the reason why I compare that play to Calvin Johnson to Megatron is because in his prime, Calvin Johnson did that all the time for Detroit. And it's a shame that the Lions kind of ended up ruining his career and never giving him a chance in the you know big moments in the playoffs. But Hopkins around three guys, unbelievable, has to be. I think, without a doubt, the play of the year. Arizona, by the way, tied now for first in the NFC West. I'll get to a little bit more about their division here in just a minute. Buffalo might have to watch out because there is a certain team on their tail, and that team is the Miami Dolphins, who won 29-21 over the LA Chargers. Miami won pretty easily, to be honest. This game isn't as close as what the score suggests. Miami dominated on the defensive side of the ball. Justin Herbert really struggled against Brian Flores' defensive scheme. And Tua's, you know, Tua Tagovailoa, he's been okay, right? He's kind of just managed the game. He's made a couple plays. But Miami doesn't really need him to be spectacular right now. And they are now a game back of Buffalo, which should be a fun race to watch in the AFC East. Weird that New England's not in it, but, you know, <laughs> that is the year we live in right now. So... On to the next game, Broncos and Raiders. Very simple to describe. Oh, sorry, Las Vegas, not Oakland. I keep wanting to say Oakland. It's like a natural like instinct. But the Vegas Raiders won very easily. Drew Locke, the Broncos quarterback, had four interceptions in this game. You're not going to win a game when your quarterback is throw four, when your quarterback throws four picks. So good win for the Raiders. They're now six and three, right in the fight in the wild card. They get Kansas City on Sunday night, although I will say that uh, there was reports today that they have a lot of defensive players on the COVID list, so we'll keep an eye on that. Seahawks and Rams. So Rams won 23-16. to It wasn't actually that close. They were a lot better than Seattle in this one. I found this game was really interesting just from a style perspective because it almost looks like there's a blueprint to beat the Seahawks. And that is not good if you're a Seattle fan. Because the Rams, every time they sent pressure in this game, when they sent more than four guys, Seattle couldn't pick it up, like, ever. Their offensive line just could not pick up a single blitz. Wilson got hit a lot for Seattle. And Jalen Ramsey was able to take away DK Metcalf in this game, which obviously limited the Seattle passing game. And with Chris Carson still on injured reserve, the running game has just not been the same for Seattle. So credit to the Rams, who I think came out with a good game plan. Jared Goff was efficient, and I'll give him credit for that. He played pretty well. And overall, I think the Rams came with a good game plan, and they executed it really well. Seattle, meanwhile, is going to have to do a little soul-searching, and they don't have much time to do so because they get Arizona on Thursday Night Football. Should be a good game. Because the NFC West now has three 6-3 and three teams. Seahawks are 6-3. and three, Rams are 6-3. and three, Cardinals are 6-3. and three, So whoever wins the Seahawks-Arizona game will go first place temporarily. 
49ers and Saints is the next game. So this one, New Orleans won this game 27 to 13, but they didn't actually win this game. And I'll explain what I mean. So New Orleans did win this football game against the 49ers, but they actually lost this game because they came away with so many injuries to key players. Marshawn Lattimore, their best cornerback, he got injured. They lost one of their tight ends, Hill, to injury. They lost their left tackles, Teron Armstead, to injury. That's a really big one, by the way, for their offensive line. The Saints have a really good old line, but Armstead, there's not exactly a replacement for Armstead on that roster. And then, of course, the most important injury, Drew Brees. Drew Brees has apparently five fractured ribs and a collapsed lung, which apparently he's not being put on injured reserve. So the Saints clearly think he can play after about two, three weeks. I'm not so sure about that, to be honest. But the Saints seem to think he can be back. And in the meantime... This opens up a very interesting opportunity for one Jameis Winston. See, Jameis Winston now has, you know, realistically, I think he's got at least the next three games, if not more, for the Saints as the starter. And the next three games for New Orleans, they play Atlanta twice. And in between that, they play the Denver Broncos. So they're not really playing any team with spectacular talent or anything like that. But I think teams are very interested to see how Jameis does here. Because Winston obviously threw 30 interceptions last year. And so if Jameis wants to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, this is his chance to show that he's learned, that he's matured, and that being you know in the Saints organization here for the past like half a year or so has allowed him to get rid of some of those really bad tendencies that he tended to have when throwing the football. So it's a big opportunity because if Jameis plays well and doesn't turn the ball over, most importantly, he'll get a job somewhere next year as a starter. If he continues to throw pick sixes and, you know, turn the ball over, I think he might just be stuck in a backup job. So will be very interesting to monitor that. Ravens and the Patriots was the Sunday nighter, and this game was just drenched in rain. Baltimore lost 23-17. to The Ravens are in, in a little bit of trouble right now. Steelers are undefeated. Ravens play Pittsburgh, um, not this week, but a week from now on Thanksgiving. So Steelers could win the division that week. And Baltimore is kind of stuck in this weird place where... Their offense seems to not be able to get it going. They seem to have problems throwing the football. And obviously their offensive line has suffered some injuries. So it's a little bit harder in protection for them. And New England, actually a pretty impressive win. I don't think it's sustainable. And the pa for anyone who says the Patriots saved their season, I don't think they did. I think New England is still very much not a playoff team this year. But good win for them. Good win for them. And the last game, the Monday Nighter, Vikings and Bears. So, Minnesota finally beat Chicago for the first time in a long time, 19-13. to Chicago's offense, if you didn't think it could get any worse, somehow it did. And they put up six points in this game. Yeah, 
they put up six points. And Minnesota did not play very well, but they found a way to win. And the Bears now with Foles hurt and Trubisky still hurt and just... Chicago is now at a tipping point of their season because they're 5-5 five and five and they get a bye week and then they get Green Bay. If they can't beat Green Bay on the week coming back from the bye week, you can basically put up the curtains on the Bears season because they're not going to make the playoffs if they don't. But that is it. That's all I got for NFL stuff. On to the NBA. So, like I said... The NBA draft is tonight, so it should be exciting to see what trades get made, who gets picked. It seems to be that Lonzo, sorry, excuse me, Lonzo Ball's brother, LaMelo Ball, and Anthony Edwards and James Wiseman appear to be the three frontrunners to go in the top three. There isn't a consensus on where they'll go, though, although it seems to be pretty reasonable to assume that Wiseman probably won't go to Minnesota number one only because Minnesota already has their franchise center in Carl Anthony Towns. But you never know, right? Teams have certainly surprised before in drafts. So something to keep an eye on, but the draft should be interesting just for that. But there were a lot of trades in the lead up to the draft. So the first couple I'll start with, which were really big, involve the Milwaukee Bucks. So Milwaukee traded for... Drew Holiday and Bogdan Bogdanovich. So they got Holiday from New Orleans and they got Bogdanovich from the Sacramento Kings. And in exchange, in the Holiday trade, they sent Bledsoe, George Hill, three first round picks and two pick swaps. And in the Bogdanovich trade, they sent Ilyasova, DiVincenzo, and some salary filler. So Milwaukee basically got rid of all their depth. But they got two pretty good players. Now, did they overpay for Holiday? Absolutely. This trade is fantastic for New Orleans. Not so much for the Bucks. But here's the kicker. Is that this is all about Giannis. Because Giannis has one year left on his contract. And if he signs that Supermax extension that Milwaukee is going to offer him, it's a win for the Bucks. Because... Giannis is the two-time MVP. He's the franchise player. He's a top five player in the league. If he re-signs, knowing now that his starting five is going to be himself, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Bogdanovich, and Lopez, which is a fantastic starting five. They might not have much of a bench, but Milwaukee has one of the best starting fives in all of basketball now. And they have a guy in Holiday who can you know, step up in the playoffs. He can guard the other team's best guard. He can he can defend the other team's best guard. Probably a better way to say that. And he can also shoot the ball. He can play. He can create plays. He can, you know, drive and finish at the rim. Holiday is just an all-around great player. And having that as a complementary piece to what Middleton brings and to what Giannis brings is great for Milwaukee. And Bogdanovich is a guy who was famous in Europe for scoring lots of clutch baskets. He's also a fantastic three-point shooter. So really good for Milwaukee. I think they made some really great moves, even if they overpaid, because they probably more than likely have convinced their superstar to stay. 
All right, some of the other trades. So Chris Paul went to the Phoenix Suns for a pretty big trade package. The important pieces of this is that the Thunder got Kelly Oubre Jr., who's a very good 3 and D player who projects to be a potentially pretty good future starter for Oklahoma City. And the Suns obviously get Chris Paul. Phoenix also sent a protected first-round pick in 2022 in this trade. So Oklahoma City didn't get a lot for Chris Paul, but Uber is a good player and getting a first round pick is always good because the Thunder seem to have like 600,000 first round picks right now with the trades they've made for Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and now Chris Paul. For Phoenix though, this is a trade that they want to use to get them in the playoffs. Phoenix has not been in the playoffs for a long time and you have Chris Paul there now. Devin Booker is an emerging star, and DeAndre Ayton was the number one overall pick not that long ago. So if those guys can figure out how to play with one another, it's pretty reasonable to assume that Phoenix will be in the playoffs. Now, where they'll be in the playoffs, I don't think they're going to be that great. Like I, I, To me, there's six teams that I think are quite noticeably better than the Suns in the Western Conference, and that would be the Los Angeles Lakers, the Los Angeles Clippers, the Golden State Warriors, the Denver Nuggets, the Portland Trail Blazers, and the Dallas Mavericks. So Phoenix could be the seventh seed in the Western Conference. And for them, that's probably a win. Because like I said, Booker and Aiton, young potential star players in the making. And so you want those guys to get the experience and you want those guys to take the next step in their development. Next trade was Covington to the Blazers for Trevor Ariza and two first-round picks. So Covington goes from Houston to Portland. Portland gets a player who fits, you know, all the needs on their team. Covington's a fantastic 3 and D player for them. And Trevor Ariza basically made the same amount of money but isn't as good. And the Rockets got a couple of first-round picks. That signals to me that Houston is prepared to blow up their roster. And blowing up their roster involves trading Russell Westbrook and, more importantly, James Harden. The James Harden rumors, for anyone who doesn't live in the NBA timeline, have been rampant over the last week or so. Because James Harden apparently wants out of Houston and wants to go to Brooklyn to play with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Now, there's a very simple reason why I don't really like that trade from Brooklyn's perspective, and that is... Kyrie Irving is a ball-dominant player, which means he needs the basketball in his hands to be effective. And Kevin Durant needs the ball to be effective. And James Harden needs the ball more than the other two guys combined to be effective. And that's kind of the problem right now. And I know you may think to yourself, well, there's been lots of super teams that have figured it out. And that's true. And the most recent example was the Golden State team. But Golden State had a star in Klay Thompson who doesn't need the basketball. Klay Thompson is so good off the ball. He's such a great shooter, but he doesn't really need the ball in his hands. He doesn't need to be dribbling the ball. He can catch and shoot. He can play defense, do all those things. And Draymond Green can do all the dirty work for the team. But he also isn't a guy who needs the ball in his hands all the time. Steph Curry kind of needs the ball in his hands to be effective, although not quite as much as like a Kyrie Irving or James Harden, and Kevin Durant kind of needs it. But if you have two players who are kind of ball dominant, 
you can share the ball. If you have three players, ugh, okay, gets a little more challenging from there. So will be interesting to watch, but I certainly think Houston will trade Westbrook and Harden at some point. But what they would get back and where the destination would be remains to be seen. And finally, my last segment, European qualifiers. So the, the four games in the playoffs took place this past week. And let's just say we have our final 24 in the tournament. North Macedonia beat Georgia 1-0 to secure their place at Euro 2020. It'll be their first major international tournament of the country's existence. Serbia took on Scotland in the other, in another uh, playoff final game. And Scotland won 5-4 on penalties. It was 1-1 after regulation. Scotland makes a major international tournament for the first time in 22 years. Scotland is also one of the hosts for Euro 2020. Glasgow is a host city, so it is extra special for Scotland. And I realize, you know, I'm not sure how many people are even going to be allowed in to the arenas for the tournament this upcoming summer. But it's still really big for Scotland. Very happy for them. Speaking of host cities that were, or host uh, nations that were able to qualify, Hungary was able to come back and defeat Iceland, scoring two goals in the last roughly like six minutes of the game to defeat Iceland. They came back from a 1-0 deficit to win 2-1 and book their place in Euro 2020. Hungary, Budapest, is one of the host cities in Euro 2020, so Hungary will get to play at home just like Scotland will, which is pretty big for them. And then finally, the last game, Slovakia won after extra time 2-1 over Northern Ireland, booking their place in Euro 2020, which means we now have our finished groups for Euro 2020. And I know this, is, this tournament's going to take place in the summer of 2021, but they're still calling it Euro 2020. So here are the finalized groups really quickly. Group A is unchanged because there wasn't a change to it. So Italy, Switzerland, Turkey, Wales is Group A. Group B is still unchanged. Belgium, Denmark, Russia, and Finland, of course. And then Group C, Austria, Netherlands, and Ukraine are joined by North Macedonia, who won their playoff qualifier. So... North Macedonia will certainly be really big underdogs in this group, but I think they're just happy to be there. And group in Group D, we have Croatia, Czech Republic, England, and Scotland. So Scotland's in a bit of a tough group, but with the potential home field advantage of Glasgow, maybe they can nick off a couple win. Make it, maybe they can nick off a win or two and get into third place. In Group E, Poland, Slovakia. Spain and Sweden. So Slovakia certainly in tough. Poland, Spain, Sweden, very good teams. So will be, I think, a pretty competitive Group E, if I'm, you know, pretty honest. Hungary, though, gets the unfortunate um, appearance of having to be in Group F because they get the world champion France, they get Germany, and they get the defending Euro champions, Portugal. So Hungary, I think, is happy to be there, too. But should be a fun, exciting tournament. I really hope it can happen this summer. And that's it. That's all I got for today. I want to thank everybody for listening in. Next week, I'll have 
a ton of NBA free agency stuff to talk about, and hopefully some news on the NHL's return to play that I'm hoping will come out here in the next week or so. And, of course, NFL Week 11 will still be on hand. But once again, to everybody out there, be happy, be healthy, and stay safe.